As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello and welcome to the Metrospective presented by Topps. Check out Topps Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Topps baseball cards. I'm Ted Berg, joined on the line by the Athletics Mets beat writer Tim Britton. And Tim, the Mets are trying valiantly to secure that protected draft pick, but the Rockies are an unyielding force of losing. You know, the Royals have entered the picture here. It's, uh... Mm-hmm. Whew. It's and don't sleep on the Angels. They could lose their way into that spot. Right. Too. There's a there's a lot of different factors going on. It's really I think the most exciting race in baseball right now. Dodgers, Giants, whatever. American League Wild Card. Who cares? Braves, Phillies. They're the same to me. Number ten draft pick. That's what the focus of the entire baseball world should be on this final week of the season. That's what that's where baseball is trending anyway. <laughs> the focus on where you get drafted or on, on where you line up in the draft. So let, let's just let's just beat everyone to it and care about it now. You know, if the Mets really want to strategize this out for the long haul, uh, you can envision, you know, just if they if they can secure that tenth pick then they have the 10th and the 11th. Maybe you draft two unsignable guys then and then try to lose again. And then next year, and I don't know if this is even how it works, but this is how I'm fantasizing. Like, you know, 12 years down the road, we're looking at a team who hasn't signed any draft picks, uh, any first round draft picks in a decade, but they do have like the top 14 picks in the draft. <laughs> I think I did that in uh, like a version of Madden at one point, like Madden 99 or something. Where I just I, I traded one of those first years you could trade for draft picks. And I just traded for like the first eight picks in the draft, uh, and my team uh, was awesome the next year. I don't think that's realistic uh, in the NFL, and it's certainly not in baseball. You'd 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 wait twelve years for it, and then you've got to wait another six years after that for everyone to reach the major leagues. And uh, like, there's a good <laughs> chance none of them are even good. <laughs> like, you get 14 draft picks, and like five guys would be like, you know, league average players. That right. that would be what would happen. Yeah, but it uh, was so. worth it for that thrill. That thrill of just being like, we're not even going to leave the podium. We've just got a list of names here. <laughs> just here's the whole the whole thing. Uh, um, yeah. 
Yeah, the the race for that pick is, uh, you know, the, the, the Mets have lost 10 of 11. Uh, they're losing two playoff teams or playoff contenders is the nice thing you can try to tell yourself, but they've not played good baseball. Uh, you know, I, I thought about it in Milwaukee over the weekend. Like, this was supposed to be the, the reason I was on the trip. The reason uh, I had been excited <laughs> for the trip was like, this was going to be a division series preview, and it was going to be one of those, you know, interesting circumstances where you're playing a team, you know, a week and a half before you're going to see them in the playoffs. You know, what can you learn about them? And all. I had sketched out ideas back in July about like what I would try to do on this weekend series. Uh, and then not only, you know, the, the bets are totally out of it and, and they showed why in those three games, like they did, they did not pitch. Well, they did not, they did not hit much. Uh, they played sloppy defense. Uh, so it's it, you, the, the gap between how the Mets played and how the Brewers played was really stark. Uh, and I, I think that's been true for the Mets now for, for two, two weeks. Uh, it's not good, and you know, jokes about the strategy aside, it is it is very difficult to watch, and and it's hard to I can't I can't honestly root for the Mets to lose, um, and and that's a good thing because now they've got four with the Marlins, and the Marlins can lose with with the best of them. A lot of people seem eager to talk about. Luis Rojas and his role with this team going forward. Um, there was a suggestion on Mets blog last week that uh, even if he's not back with as the manager, he he could be back with the club in some capacity. Uh, what's your take? Do you and and obviously this is the um, this is like a a subordinate decision to who takes over the front office. Those are the people who are going to make this call ultimately, but. Do you think there's a chance Luis Rojas is back next year, and do you think he should be back next year? I think there's a chance. I think it's it's not a, a large one at this point. Okay. You know, I, I think if if Luis Rojas had been you know a, as good a manager as he could be, and the Mets were going to miss the playoffs anyway uh, because they just hadn't played uh, as well as they could have, uh, and you were bringing in a new president of baseball ops and all this, then then his chances of, of coming back would be below 50-50 regardless, you know, kind of. Um, and, and certainly there are things you can point to and say, you know, there, there's in-game moves that he's not a perfect in-game manager. No one is. Um, and I think it, it, it's a little concerning that the team has gone in the tank quite this deeply, that, that they've played so poorly uh, and that it's snowballed on them to this extent. You know, it's one thing to have that 2-11 stretch against the Giants and Dodgers, uh, your hope would be that the team, you know, the, the way they started to rebound from that, that like first week and a half against the Nats and Marlins, and they got themselves back to 500 and got themselves back in it. Uh, you know, if, if the Mets had just lost, you know, gone 80, 82 and 80 uh, and lost the division by five games because of that one stretch, you, you'd be uh, disappointed, clearly. Uh, but it, it's a little different now feeling like, you know, God, they, they might go like 76 and 86. They might finish 10 games under 500. Uh, you know, they might go from first place at the trade deadline to a top 10 draft pick, uh, which is a, a pretty remarkable fall. Uh, I know Anthony DeComo had tweeted on Monday that they, they're they the team that spent the longest in first place and is going to finish under 500 in league history, uh, which is uh, is pretty crazy. Uh, so, you know, I, I think there are, you know, with, with Rojas, there's the the two dynamics, like if if the front office were staying the same, I could imagine the Mets still trying to make a change. And because the front office is not staying the same, I think a change is, is uh, significantly likelier. Um, you know, I, I don't know that this is, I don't know that they'd like come out and fire him. I think it's kind of a, uh, 
it, it wouldn't surprise me if the week after the season they say, you know, we understand the uncertainty in our front office. Uh, so, you know, different different pe- people on our staff, uh, including Luis, who are not under contract for next year, are free to look for opportunities elsewhere. Uh, and those those people look for and find opportunities elsewhere over that time. Uh, that would be my that that's kind of my expectation going into the week after the season. I, I I don't think Rojas is the problem. I don't think he's even a big problem. I think like you can win with him as your manager. Uh, I don't know who the guy out there that you hire that's better than him is at this point. Uh, but I think uh, you know th- there's been it's been a tough job for him because you think of the different contextual circumstances uh, of 2020 where he gets the job in late January. Uh, then does not get a, a real spring training and has a pandemic season. Uh, and then in 2021, uh, where he has worked for three different general managers over the course of the season, including one he never met in Jared Porter, um, and uh, has had uh, a lot going on uh, in that regard. Like, he hasn't had kind of... I don't think the Mets have put him in the best position to to be a manager yet you know the, you talk about managers putting their players in the best position to succeed i don't think the Mets have put him in the best position to succeed in the same sense that they didn't really you know they hired mickey calloway and then they did not put him in the best position to succeed like he was clearly not ready for for what they hired him to do um so i, I don't know that i blame rojas entirely for this i think he can still be a good major league manager uh but i think at this point it would surprise me uh if he were back next year uh with the mets that's interesting. Yeah, I I agree with all of that. I don't have the uh, obviously the inside track on on where they're going to go. It's it's a funny thing. I don't know that I've I can remember a manager where I've felt this way. And I guess this is probably a reflection of like just the changing role in our understanding of managers in, in general. But it's like I kind of like this guy, and and I don't feel like he's the issue. It doesn't feel like the players dislike him obviously they haven't played especially well for him this year but uh, as we've discussed at length the offense played extremely well for him last year um i think and and this is something a, a lot of listeners have asked us about repeatedly um and i think this is all managers now but it is clear that um some of his recommendations are are coming down from above it does seem like he has been a team player to, in in that way um maybe something that could um you know buy him some faith from a new front office but um i think you're probably right that from his perspective um going into an off season with all that uncertainty looming like he's a guy who's going to get offered a job somewhere and it's like do you want to hang out and 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 hold out for the the chance that the Mets decide you're still the guy even with a new front office or um, whether it's a managerial position elsewhere or a coaching job elsewhere or a minor league coordination type job elsewhere, um, you know, jumping on that and, and taking the, the fresh start in a new organization and, you know, keeping your options open for managing down the road. Yeah, like, you, you know, remember last year when Cohen and Alderson came in in the first week of November, you know, Sandy Alderson said that, you know, it, they didn't commit 100% to Luis Rojas as the manager, but he said, basically, we would like Luis to be the manager. Like, we, we believe he's very likely to be the manager. Uh, and that's that's kind of setting a precondition in your search for a president of baseball ops. And you wonder if this time around they say, you know, last year no one wanted the job. Maybe it was because we said things like that. Uh, because we said, we you know... Uh, 
So I, I, I doubt they will say the same. You know, they could. Alderson could say, you know what, we've picked up. Rojas has a contract option for next season. We picked up his option. We decided we want him as the manager. Like, you know, the, the new president of baseball ops can make every other decision, but we want him as the manager. They could do that. It probably uh, handicaps their search for a, a president of baseball ops. It also probably puts Rojas in, in like not a great situation where he's wor- working a third consecutive year for a third different front office and you know a second front office that didn't hire him. Um, so he's never been like the first choice and, and he's never kind of felt that way. Uh, the, the other thing I want to say is a lot of people have, have looked at, at the way the Mets have played in the last two months and uh, you know they've looked kind of lifeless. Uh, and haven't they've looked like they haven't had a sense of urgency, uh, and that reflects poorly on a manager generally. I do think, and we've talked about this, that in general, a team that can't score kind of inherently looks that way mm-hmm. because they don't do well offensively. <laughs> like you know, uh, a team that uh, like you look at the 2020 Mets, a team that that could score, could hit the ball, uh, and could not pitch. They didn't seem lifeless. They just they just seemed like they couldn't keep a lead. You know, they'd they'd be up eight to two uh, against the Braves, and they wouldn't be able to hold it. Like they would have games like that, and when you lose eleven to nine on a regular basis, uh, or or six to five, it it feels like you're trying harder because you're in the game more. Uh, right. Hey, this team's got so much fight. Like they scored three runs in the bottom of the ninth. It wasn't enough because their bullpen just let up seven. But hey. <laughs> Whereas this team, you know, you take a, a game like uh, Friday night against the Brewers, where Tyler McGill gives up a couple of gives up three home runs in the first three innings. They're down four to one uh, to Eric Lauer, who they ha- who they had on the ropes in the first inning. Like they they could have knocked him out in the first inning. They they don't get a big hit, uh, and then they just you know I think he retired like nineteen of twenty after that. You know, it, game's just, over once once they're down yeah. by three runs early. Game's over, and and I, I think. This is different from the managerial side of it. From the pitching side of it, uh, you understand why, like, Carlos Carrasco is walking more batters. It's because he knows if he gives up a home run, the game is over. Uh, so uh, I, I think we've seen kind of the, the offense's ineptitude leak out into other parts of, of how we view uh, the pitching staff, how we view the team's base running, how we view the team's defense, how we view the team's manager. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. We've been talking a bit about um, some of the, the off-season decisions that the Mets have to make. Two of the bright spots from this offense are under team control for next year, but both, I think, interesting candidates for extensions. Um, and and I'm referring to, to Pete Alonzo and Brandon Nimmo. I want to start with Alonzo because uh, he is, I believe, is this going to be his first arbitration season coming up? 
Uh, let me see here. Yes. Because remember, because yeah, they didn't in, in arbitrage for the first time. Yeah. Because they didn't they didn't manipulate his service time um famously and and delightfully uh like it's something to be celebrated we got two extra weeks of of pete alonzo mashing dingers now uh to me it seems like a no-brainer to to extend alonzo uh it's a big pet peeve of mine that the mets in recent seasons have sort of gone away from uh locking up guys in through their extension years and and a couple years into free agency I think you could get Alonzo at what would amount to a, a very team-friendly deal. One of these, like, I don't know if it's you know, six years and, and $75 million guaranteed with a with a couple of options tacked on at the end, something like that. Um, that's usually, and, and I don't have a good, uh, like, top-of-my-head uh, comp for Alonzo getting an extension, but you're, you know, with an established player... Um, you're usually looking at at that type of deal where you you buy out the arbitration years, you tack on a couple of years, and then you you add an option or two at the end. Um, and while there are examples like Jose Tabata signed a big deal with the with the Pirates, it didn't work out. Uh, John Singleton signed a deal, I think, on like his second day in the major leagues with the Astros or something like that. Um, that that very famously didn't work out. Um, but you know, for more than the i would say like the solid majority of this type of extension they wind up working out i think well for both parties because if you're the mets you wind up with a a cornerstone first baseman and and you know number three or number four hitter for the foreseeable future and if you're pete alonzo you ensure that without ever having to worry about getting to free agency without um you know considering all of the the injury risks and everything else that can go wrong in a baseball career you guarantee that your grandchildren are rich people yeah, that that's a nice aspect of it. Um, yeah, I looked at uh, I looked at this last year for Alonzo, uh, and I I'm trying to find. I'm glad you talked for a little bit longer because I was like going through all of my old Excel documents to see where I, I can had feel it. it. Um, <laughs> uh, and uh, you know, going into last year, I I had I never wrote it, but I, I was thinking of writing it at some point. But I knew it wasn't going to happen, so I, I didn't. Um, I looked at something like a seven-year, eighty-four million dollar thing, or, mm-hmm. or seven years and eighty-eight, like that range for him. Um, but that is, you know, the first. The, he's already gone through the year of that where he would have made the least um, in twenty twenty-one pre-arbitration, and and he's had the kind of season that ups that a bit, you know, because he's coming off of less uncertainty than he did certainly in twenty twenty. So I think you'd probably have to up, you know. Even if you're just doing it for the six years, you'd have to up the the dollar amount probably uh, closer to uh, nine figures uh, if you're getting there. Uh, I have to look at uh, who his comps would be. I don't think I have that uh, in an Excel document at the moment. Um, so uh, yeah, I, I think it's harder to do. I mean, like with with so many of these players, uh, like you you think about who you want to extend in a given offseason. And, and last year you could have said Alonzo and McNeil and uh, Brandon Nimmo and Michael Conforto and Dominic Smith uh, and all of those guys. Uh, and then you get to this offseason and, and obviously Conforto's a free agent and you say, well, you know, I don't feel as good about extending McNeil off of this year. I don't feel as good about extending Smith off of this year. So the guys you want to extend, Nimmo and Alonzo, are the guys who are going to be a lot more expensive to extend now than they were last year because you feel better about them. Uh, so the longer you wait, it always just gets more expensive for the guys you want to extend. Uh, with So uh, Alonzo, I would think, you know, he's going to go, he's going to 
this is his age 26 season. He's going into his age 27 season. Uh, you'd probably have something with him that, uh, you know, you want to cover at least uh, four years. Four years would get, you'd buy out the first year of free agency, and then you'd probably want club options beyond that or uh, some sort of opt-out structure. Uh, so you're probably talking about something that, that lasts six or seven years and gets him through his age 32 or 33 season with some kind of opt-out in there uh, from, from either the team or the, the individual perspective, maybe both. Uh, and probably you're talking of, of close to $100 million is my guess. I haven't done the, the deep research on this. Um, with Nimmo, uh, because he's a year away, uh, it's, uh, again, harder to extend him. Uh, I don't think it's impossible. He's a, a, another homegrown guy. Uh, I don't think he's going to be looking for quite as much as Conforto was uh, in the past offseason. You know, he doesn't have the George Springer contract kind of peg his hopes to uh, in the same way. At a, you know, he's missed some time with injury. He's not coming off his greatest season ever the way Conforto was. Uh, and also this offseason, you know, I should say with both of these, like you're not going to do either of these contracts early in the offseason. Uh, you don't. You almost never do extensions early in the offseason to begin with, but especially this offseason, you're going to have so much CBA uncertainty. Uh, you don't know what the penalties are going to be going forward. You don't know what the market is going to be for different players. You know, uh, Nimmo would want to see what a guy like Conforto gets. You don't want to go out and give Nimmo, you know, six years and $80 million, and then Michael Conforto signs for four years and $50 million. Uh, and you're like, oh, we could have could have done that. Uh, so uh, I think, you know, with Nimmo in particular, you're waiting until you see kind of how the outfield market resets uh, under a new collective bargaining agreement uh, and where that positions him uh, for uh, his free agency after next year and, and what it would take then to buy him out of that. Uh, but, you know, certainly the way he's played this year, uh, he hasn't He's missed time, which is a concern given that it's happened the last two of the last three years. But he's handled center field much better this year than in the past. His his speed is like it's not just the positioning thing. He's actually worked to get more athletic. He's running faster this year, uh, which is a cool thing. Uh, you don't always see that with a guy uh, when he's 29 years old. Uh, and uh, he, you can you feel a little bit more comfortable with the idea of him being your everyday center fielder in 2022 and beyond than you than you did coming into this year. Uh, and so they, they've got to make a commitment to their outfield. You know, they're, they're going to have to add to it in some way. Uh, right now, you're going into next year basically with Nimmo as an outfielder and uh, some question marks around him. Uh, if even if you bring Conforto back, uh, you still have another question mark whether it's McNeil or Dom Smith or someone else in left field. Uh, whether there's a DH, a lot of lot of things going into that. Uh, but you know, getting some cost certainty with with Nimmo beyond next year uh, probably is good for the Mets. Yeah, I think I mean my my primary concern with Nimmo would be the injuries. He's never he's played one season in his career with with more than 100 games, um, which is uh, kind of surprising. Like it feels like he's he's been on the field more than that, possibly because he's been so good whenever he's been on the field. Like just a a very consistent uh, 375 to 410 on base percentage and. Um, I think that you know that's the type of skill that doesn't really erode, right? So I would be all for it, but again, like it, it it's always going to depend on the deal. It's always going to depend on on how much he wants. Um, and like you said, like the the CBA is a big factor there. I'm glad you brought up Jeff McNeil because I don't think there's a snowball's chance in hell they they extend him this this season. But I think I could make a case that they should, right? Because there's no there's no better there's there's never going to be a time I think 
when you get Jeff McNeil for less than you could you could lock him up for long term right now. Yeah, he was another guy I looked at last year uh, and what it would take, and I, I think I had about six years and fifty-five to sixty million dollars. Uh, the the issue with McNeil is his age. You know, he's he's going to be thirty next season, uh, so you have him already uh, through his age thirty-two season. You know, he doesn't hit free agency until the same year as Alonzo after twenty twenty-four. By you know twenty twenty-five, he'll be thirty-three. Uh, how many years do you want of him after that? Uh, is a, 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 lot, a reasonable question. Uh, so I, I would say at this point, you're probably looking at like, probably want one or two years after that. Uh, so you're probably looking at a four or five year deal. Um, I don't, he's an interesting case because I don't know how arbitration will uh, reward him. Like Alonzo, because he's got, because he hits for power, uh, because of the home runs and RBIs, he's going to get paid in arbitration. He's going to get paid pretty well. Uh, you know, it's a, uh, a system that rewards counting stats. Uh, and so Alonzo will hit that system with as many home runs as anyone uh, has ever hit it. Uh, and so he'll get rewarded really handsomely. Uh, I don't think the same is true of McNeil. I think McNeil is probably a better player than he will get paid. Like he will get paid not up to his value as a player uh, because of the way our arbitration is, is set up. Uh, so I think there's probably less urgency to do it with him, obviously. Uh, and there's probably... Uh, less incentive to in the long run, uh, but I, I do think you know if you really if you believe in Jeff McNeil, if you think like this is a guy who's going to help us uh, in 2022 and beyond, maybe not even as uh, an everyday player at a set position like we've talked about, but a guy who gets 450 plate appearances between four different spots uh, and is in the lineup pretty consistently and can hit 300. Uh, you know the the Ben Zobris role, the Chris Taylor role that he's employed for the Dodgers the last couple of years. Uh, you know, getting him on a, a relatively team-friendly deal, uh, where you know, you give him something. You know, again, he's a guy who hasn't earned much of anything at this point yet. Uh, you you give him something where he he feels like he has uh, solidified uh, the rest of his life financially and generations to come. Uh, you know, that might be a, a thing that he'd be willing to do at this point. Yeah, I was looking uh, at Zobrist as a potential comp. It's not it's not a great one. I think that. Uh, I was either overrating McNeil or underrating Zobrist in my head. Like when the Rays signed him to an extension before arbitration, uh, but he was coming off an eight and a half win season, um, and even coming off a uh, season with eight point six uh, wins above replacement, uh, they bought out his three arbitration seasons for fourteen point five million, which is a steal, uh, and then got options for seven million in twenty fourteen and seven point five million in twenty fifteen. And remember, like this isn't. Um, this isn't the past in baseball where any prior contract had to look small compared to the current ones. Like we're sort of operating in a similar free agent marketplace as teams were in 2014, 2015. And the Rays wound up getting just like a, like a slew of all-star worthy performances for Zobrist for a total of like $30 million, um, which was, it was an an incredible deal for them. Um, I don't think that, I don't think that McNeil's upside, I think, um, Zobrist was a guy who kind of came out of nowhere. Like, I don't think anyone, except possibly members of Andrew Friedman and other members of the race front office, imagined Ben Zobrist becoming a, you know, perennially all-star caliber player. Um, and so it's it's kind of like, it's unfair to say 
anyone is going to be that guy. Um, but what's similar with Zobrist and McNeil is that Zobrist too was uh, was an older free agent or was going to be an older free agent, had come up a little bit later. He didn't really become a full-time play- player until he was 28. Um, and like you said, you know, they're guys who sort of, you know, play all over and hit really well. Um, I don't know. I, I, I don't think they're going to do it. I think the like I don't think it's sexy enough to say like hey you know why don't we try to lock this guy up to something that's very team friendly uh when he is coming off his worst career season but uh that is like you know pretty standard Wall Street stuff right and so like Maybe if Steve Cohen's trying to look big picture at this and if and if whoever takes over the front office says, like, no, like, we really believe this was the fluke season. We really believe this guy can hit like he hit the last two years and, and here's the aberration. Then, again, like, I feel like it's a no-brainer to, to at least try. And, and the whole concept here, right, is that you're taking on uh, uh, some risk, you know, and not a, not a small risk with all of these guys. Like, there is, there is some, some risk wedded into this. Um, but the reward can be huge. Like you mentioned with Zobrist, I mean, and go back to like Jose Altuve's initial extension with the Astros, uh, which was like four years and $12 million or something. Or Salvador Perez's first one with the, the Royals, I think was five years for $7 million. Um, uh, Ozzy you know, Albies signed for like free with the Braves. <laughs> uh, Ronald Acuna Jr., seven years and, and just about $100 million with the Braves. Like, there's so, the, like, the, if you hit with one of these extensions, the reward is enormous. If you miss, it's you're paying Juan Lagares to be your fourth outfielder $9 million one year, which is like not, you know, obviously not ideal, but is manageable. And the Mets right now, under Steve Cohen, are clearly in a position where they can afford those risks. Uh, you don't do it with everyone. It's not, you don't go out and extend every member of your, your roster. But uh, you can be more aggressive in extending players so that, you know, like imagine if the Mets had extended players more aggressively in the last five years. And so that means you've extended Jacob deGrom at a much lower price point than you eventually extended him at. Uh, you've extended Noah Syndergaard uh, and uh, at a lower price point, and you have him beyond this season. Uh, you've extended Zach Wheeler, and he's still in your organization. Uh, you've probably also extended Matt Harvey, uh, and and that's the one you've lost on. That's probably the most expensive of them, uh, given <laughs> given the way his career started. Uh, but uh, you know that's still a guy that you're, you're you're three out of four there. Your overall value is probably better than it would be otherwise, and and that's not even getting into. Uh, having like Conforto still on the rot, you know, beyond this year, that kind of thing. So I, I think, you know, you understood why the Wilpons were against it because they didn't want to take on any of that risk, uh, even if it meant they could get big reward the way they did with David Wright and Jose Reyes last decade. Uh, but uh, cer- certainly now uh, with the current ownership, uh, they should be uh, more willing uh, and they are more capable of taking on the, 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 the lower amount of risk to, to get a big reward with these. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? (laughs) You mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. We've got a question from Nick Silva on Twitter, 
And it's something we've talked about, uh, I think we talked about a couple months ago, and I think you know where I stand on this, but he wants to know, uh, would you be happy with would you be happy with revisiting the Beltron hire for next year? They obviously picked him for a reason over multiple candidates. Lo- Rojas was a last resort. I'd like to see him get a shot. You know, I, I think I think we've talked about this before. One of the things that that I go back to is like one of the, like the reason they picked him over other candidates was because they liked the way that he he worked with with current players. Uh, that he was like, you know. He had immediate respect in the clubhouse. He'd walk in and everyone would know who he was uh, and and respect what he had done and accomplished in the game. And that, you know, you talk to people on the Astros at the time and, and the Yankees, and they talked about, like, the little extra edges that, that Carlos is able to pick up. Um, <laughs> what were those? <laughs> yeah. And I think, like, what what, ha- what happened with the Astros sign-stealing scandal, uh, like, it directly undercuts the things that, you were going to hire him for like he's going to walk into a clubhouse and he's going to have pitchers who really dislike him because of what he did uh you know like marcus stroman was very outspoken about that uh when it happened and, and you can imagine if stroman is back with the mets and carlos beltran is the manager that, i'm not saying that it's going to be a problem they can bury the hatchet and all that but uh he doesn't walk in with the same instant credibility that he was going to before november of 2019 so uh, he can certainly be a candidate. You can talk about him, but I think you've got to you've got to factor that in. Uh, you know, the the exact thing that you liked about him most at that time is is what was what's been kind of spoiled by the revelations since then. So he, I don't think he's as strong a candidate to be a manager right now as he was beforehand. Uh, and so, uh, you know, if you're opening up the position again, he can be a candidate, but you've got to factor all of this in. I think anyone listening who is familiar with my work knows I would follow <laughs> Carlos Beltran to the end of the earth. But um, I feel like you're 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 onto something. I also feel like it's like if you love someone or love a baseball player, you never want him really to be the manager of your favorite team, right? Because uh, and and I referenced this not long ago. It's like like Willie Randolph said when he got hired. It was like I know how this ends. And if Carlos Beltran gets hired, like great. Like maybe there's a there's a honeymoon period. Maybe it's great. Maybe they win a World Series. It still ends poorly. Like it's gonna end poorly. Um, and so I don't know. Like I, I think one thing to keep in mind with manager stuff, and because I think back to when the Mets Terry hired Terry Collins, I was at SMY, and we went like yeah, there was there was sort of a prolonged managerial search. Everybody was they were sort of upfront about who they were interviewing. So we did like video series upon video series about who the Mets might hire for a manager. And I remember talking to an Angels fan about Terry Collins, and like could not have been a worse report like you you could not have heard worse things about a manager than what people said people who watched him with the angels said about terry collins they said he's a he's an egomaniac he put himself in front of the team he lost the clubhouse they had a revolt like all of these things and i think you know myself and and every other mets fan now looks at terry collins's tenure with the mets as like a a very positive time for the franchise i think everybody has pretty sunny feelings about collins himself um bob melvin was another guy that was that was you know talked about when they hired collins and and it was bob melvin that's boring like who wants to revisit bob melvin this is an old school guy like why would they go down that route and like bob melvin's done a great job with the oakland A's uh, this offseason uh it was crazy crazy that the white Sox would would revisit and and ultimately rehire Tony La Russa, of all people. And now the White Sox are like fifteen games up in their division running away you know, they've already they've already clinched the championship. So it's it's a I think that it, 
it's to some extent that the manager's role is just kind of overrated and the players have to perform, but also um, I think that there's like, you know, the right voice for the right room is a thing, and you never know necessarily from outside, and you never really know before it happens, like, who is going to be that right guy. When Jerry Manuel took over the Mets, um, it, it was um, it was like an amazing change, right? Like, all of a sudden, like, the, the paranoia of the Willie Randolph era is gone. Uh, they are no longer the collapsed 2007 team. They are no longer the team that got off to a horrible start in 2008. Jerry Manuel took over. The Mets went on a crazy run and it seemed like oh jerry manuel's like obviously won them over and has them playing right oh but really i think in retrospect like after you remember the rest of the jerry manuel era um and his uh like bizarre predilection for using guillermo moda in tight games <laughs> it's not that jerry manuel was the great manager it was that the mets had a really good team in 2008 that uh once he took over like happened to play up to their talent level, um, only to then uh, suffer from having the perhaps the worst bullpen ever constructed in Major League history. Yeah, here's kind of a universal truth about being a baseball fan is uh, you're going to hate the manager. You're going to yeah. hate the guy who manages mm-hmm. your team. Uh, like like you the know, Simpsons thing, the Simpsons thing, right? Like if he's, if he, what was the, you know the line better than I do. I don't, I don't know which one you're referring to. Uh, they were like, oh, if he's, if he's, bad it's his fault and if if they win he's a button pusher yeah, it's like mo like it was that. a mo quote yeah because <laughs> um, you know you go back to like 2017 and, and every Mets fan that feel, that looks fondly at Terry Collins hated how he used his bullpen how he didn't trust Michael Conforto all of these things like uh, I wasn't covering the team yet but I knew from afar that every that every Mets fan wanted Terry Collins fired at that moment um, and you know you look at like what managers in baseball are loved by the, their fan base. Like it might be Alex Cora in Boston um, because he won a World Series in his first year, uh, and because he wasn't there for the bad season uh, in 2020. When like even if he were there, they weren't going to be good. Uh, you know, it's it's like Bruce Bochy in San Francisco because he won three World Series. Um, you know, it, it's maybe AJ Hinch in Detroit right now because they've played better than you expected for a year. But uh, you know, I was in Boston and John Farrell won a World Series in his first year, and by the end of his second season, everyone wanted him fired right. <laughs> um, because oh, I they mean, won the World Series in spite of him. It, it is becomes what you think. So like, whoever the Mets hire as manager, if they bring back Rojas, if they bring in someone else, you're gonna hate him soon enough because every manager makes in-game decisions that bother you because they're you know because. Half the fan, but you know, if he does something like, you know, I think back to uh, the game against San Francisco where he, he takes Taiwan Walker out and brings in Aaron Loop, there is half the fan base that thinks that's the worst move ever. Uh, and then there's another half of the fan base that understands that move. Uh, but if he had left Walker in, would have thought it was the worst move ever. So, uh, you know, you're not going to please everyone with your in game moves. Uh, you're not going to please anyone with your in game moves, basically. Uh, and so, uh, give a manager enough time in that seat you know willie randolph knows how this ends you're the fan base is going to dislike him uh and that's just a fact of the matter and that's one that i think as a fan you have to prepare yourself for uh yeah i think that's absolutely right i think uh, if you're if you're ever wanting to kill an hour and a half um and entertain yourself if you just search twitter for any manager's name and fire you will find like 
tons and tons of fans of that team demanding that that manager be fired, even if it's like the first place team. Um, everybody is ready to fire the manager at all times. I found the quote from The Simpsons. He said, it's Mo. He says, the only thing I know about strategy is that everything the manager does is crap, unless it works, in which case he's a button pusher. And then <laughs> and then Lenny says, I hate people who just put bu- push buttons all day. Um, we will not be pushing the pod pa- podcast button later in this week. We're sort of uh, transitioning into to our off-season schedule uh, because it doesn't seem like the Mets are going to have a, a whole lot of meaningful baseball to recap in this this final week of play. So, Tim, uh, next I speak to you, it will be October. No, the season will be over. What I, I want to ask you, what is your preferred way for how the NL East finishes up? Like, I, I, I don't know about this, how Mets fans feel because, you know, I grew up at a time when the Braves were the chief rival and toward the end of my like totally involved Mets fandom before I started covering baseball, the Phillies were the chief rival. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you have like a preference for the Braves or Phillies making the playoffs? Which one you'd prefer to see there, uh, or is there a pref- or is there a preferred way for like how this finishes out with like the Phillies sweep the Braves, then the Mets sweep the Braves, but then the Braves beat the Rockies or whatever and get in anyway. Uh, that would be fun. You know what? In, in like, in spite of myself, and in spite of like being very much like a, a '90s kid Mets fan, uh, the current Braves team I just find kind of likable. Like Freddie Freeman just seems like such a cool, fun guy to me. Like he, he I, I think everybody associates him with like the Chipper Jones, Brian McCann Braves that he came up with. But like he's just not like that at all when he plays. Um, Ozzy Albie, who we mentioned before, is super fun. I know he's out, but Acuna is super fun. So like. I kind of like I like in theory I hate the Braves but I kind of enjoy watching this current incarnation of the Braves um so I'm good with like the the status quo holding yeah I I think if you're a a Mets fan it would be like to, to watch this Phillies team win the division uh, and maybe this is just me saying this because I, I spent the first several months of the season being like I, I don't worry about the Phillies mm-hmm. um uh, to see them win the division with like 84 wins or 85 wins, whatever it would take, uh, would be, I think, especially disheartening. Um, well, and like Phillies fans, Braves, yeah, Phillies fans ooze their way up here from Philadelphia and you have to deal with them, whereas like, yeah, I don't meet a ton of Braves fans on the day to day. Yeah, you meet a random person who loved the Superstation when they were a kid and that's it. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, I'll say, yes. and we can talk about this more at some later date. But to me, the obvious, the obvious postseason team for the Mets fan this year is the Chicago White Sox, and I will, I will back that case up at some point in the future. That's a tease for you. Yeah, that, I think that's next week. We talk about who to who to watch and, and who to care about in the playoffs, if anyone. While the Mets uh, embark on a very transitional offseason that will keep up, uh, give us plenty of news to cover uh, in the podcast over that time. Until then, Tim. Peace out. Adios.